Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad that you are here today. And I'm especially excited about my guest today. I have Emily Reamer on the show today. And Emily is a former celebrated TV news anchor of over 20 years. And she's now a health and wellness coach. So as you can imagine, the journey from news anchor to health coach was a winding one, but I don't want to give it away. I want the story to come from Emily. So welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I am, I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And as you know, my first question on the show is always, how old are you? So I am 42 years old. 42. And of course, this is only an appropriate question on a midlife podcast, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And where are you right now? So right now I am in my room at home in Holly Springs, North Carolina, in this little (laughs) corner that is my office. I'm sure you can relate. I have like a desk and I have a bunch of stuff up on the wall in front of me. And this is like my, my zone. Perfect. I love it. And we are both in the Carolinas and so happy about it. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's so much to get to. So let's just dive in. So it sounds like, Emily, after college, you – well, you had gone to college to be a journalist. And it sounds like this is something – you're not one of those people that went to college being like, I have no idea what I want to do. You knew like from the get-go – that you wanted to be a journalist. Is that right? Yes. So I took a TV production course when I was a junior in high school as a way to fill those like optional credits, you know, never realizing that I was going to fall in love with television and telling stories visually and interviewing people and let them tell their stories. And I remember working on this project where we were interviewing Vietnam veterans and my uncle is a Vietnam veteran. And I got to interview him about things that I never knew had happened to him, really harrowing situations. And I remember coming away from it thinking, this is my thing. This is this is it. And so that really just, I mean, truly when I say that was it, that was it. I looked at like three schools that had great broadcast journalism programs. I applied to them, got into Ithaca College, and my major was broadcast journalism, minor in history. And truly that was like my blinders were on and this was the thing and I had certainty. 
Wow. And that is kind of a rare thing, especially like in my world. I don't know if you know this about my story, but I went to six colleges. (laughs) Wow. Okay. No, I didn't know that. (laughs) And I have like a gazillion majors that I switched beyond. So I always like admired people who, like you said, had the blinders on. You were like, this is what I want to be. And that is what you became. So after college, you end up getting a job in Albany, right? Yes. Okay. So talk a little bit about that. So I did. So I graduated from college um, and spent, you know, like six months waiting tables, living with my parents, like convinced I was never going to get a job. And um, a friend was working at this station in Albany, New York. It was a 24-hour cable station. Um, And I think these are a bit more common at this point, but then it was kind of a new sort of format. And he said, hey, you know, we're looking for a one-man band and I will walk your resume tape in. So I was so fortunate to have this friend walk my tape in literally. And I got a call and went to interview and I was hired to be the Saratoga Bureau Chief. And and I I laugh now because that really just meant I was literally the only person in the bureau. So I was the the chief. chief. The chief of nobody but you. (laughs) I love it. Titles are everything, right? (laughs) The chief of myself. Oh my Um, gosh. But I'll tell you, it was... You know, and at the time it was extremely challenging because it was my first job out of college and I was by myself. So there weren't a lot of people around to say, like, hey, how do you do this? Or what did you do in this situation? Or how do I like, you know, just just to troubleshoot things with. However, I mean, I learned so much in that first job about you know, there was no GPS. So I'm on the side of the road with this big atlas spread out over the driver's seat trying to figure out where I am, you know, bringing extra batteries with me just in case things died, just planning for every eventuality and doing it all on my own, I think was just, it gave me an appreciation of every aspect of what it takes to get something on the air. And also I think really showed me what I was capable of as I was kind of finding my way in the business. Yeah, I bet that's a lot of responsibility for like a 22-year-old, right? Right. Right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. But two years in, you just start to get this like inkling, you called it, of this maybe isn't my dream job. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I think it was – it was sort of, uh, you know, and for anyone who's ever watched the news, I think any everyone kind of has the same sentiment. Well, it's all bad. The news is all bad. And I, you know, have to admit, sometimes you're not wrong. <laughs> and so these stories, I think, were just starting to kind of weigh on me as a human being. And um, I can remember getting sent to someone's house who, you know, had just gone through this horrible tragedy and lost a child and was told to go knock on the door and try to talk to them. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. Like, that seems awful. Why, why do we need to bother them? Like, why do we need to talk to them? And, you know, doing it because my bosses had told me to and getting yelled at and just feeling like I deserve to be yelled at because I didn't want to be there. And I just thought, gosh, if this is what I'm going to do every day for the rest of my career, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah, I can imagine that would be so hard. And so you kind of hit the reset button. And this is where your story, I'm like, this is kind of a crazy leap. You actually move to England. Is that right? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I would just (laughs) – right. Right. I'm like, well, so I had had my eye on this master's program at the University of Leeds in international communications. And I – after that experience, I thought, you know what? 
maybe this isn't for me and maybe um, I need to try something different. And so, you know, I'm like 25, I'm not married, I don't have kids. And I thought, this is the time to do it. You know, if if I'm going to do this, let's do it. So I did. I applied, I got in, I moved to England for a year and got my master's in international communications and really took a break on the daily grind that can be news to figure out what I wanted to do next. Oh my gosh. And it's interesting that you say that you did that at 25 because I think there's something, you know, the quarter life crisis Mm, that happens mm -hmm. at 25, right? And then the midlife crisis that happens now. Um, And I think it's so interesting because when I was 25, I actually moved to South Korea. So, you know, at the same time where it's like, okay, well, what's the next thing, you know? Yes. Um, And also I think this sense of like, when you're young, there, there's this, you don't really, um, you haven't, you don't have the experience yet that tells you things could go horribly wrong. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, yes. You Ignorance know? And, is bliss. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so when you're 25 and you're thinking, sure, I'm going to move to England, why not? Um, you know, you don't have the same maybe um, calculations that come into it when you're 42 or 45. So I feel like that's almost a blessing, right? At that time in our lives to just think, Sure. Why not? (laughs) Totally. Although, Emily, I will say if I did not have my like husband to like tether me and be like, you're crazy, I would be like, let's move the family to Nicaragua. Like I'm just, (laughs) I'm still that girl (laughs) (laughs) with a lot more responsibilities. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, so, but here's the thing with you. You didn't come back and make a dramatic career change, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. I came back definitely richer in experiences and friendships, absolutely, and mindset. But I came back and thought, I still want to do news. However, I decided that I did not want to do general assignment news, right? So I didn't want to go to fires and shootings and you know these horrible things. So was really kind of selective in looking for what I wanted to do next. And I found a job posting as a for a political reporter in Columbus, Ohio in 2007, this would have been. And I was able to go out there and meet with the news director and that was it. And so I was hired to be a political reporter right before the 08 presidential race. Oh my gosh. And it sounds like you end up getting a huge honor, an invitation to the White House. And you were one of like very few journalists that got this invite. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, we go through the 08 campaign and, you know, at the time Ohio is a battleground state and still is in some ways, um, perhaps not as, as much now, but I had, you know, really come to know so many of the staffers on all the campaigns that were in Ohio. And so, um, you know, Barack Obama wins and, in let's see, it would have been the December or so. A couple, you know, a couple years in, they call, I get a call. Actually, I'll never forget this. Now I'm just remembering it. Um, and I was sitting at my desk and I'm typing up a story. And the assignment editor, who's kind of halfway across the room, has says, "Emily, I have a phone call for you." I'm like, "Okay, we'll just send it through." And it's uh, this this you know person Isaac, who I knew from the campaign. And I said, "Hey, you know, how the heck are you?" And he's in Washington at this point. He's, "I'm good." He says, "Listen, you know, we're doing this thing." We, um, we're going to invite some local reporters from around the country to come and interview the president, and we'd like to know if you'd like to do that. And I oh paused, my God. <laughs> and I paused, Bree, I paused, and my brain hasn't caught up with what's happening, and I was like, the president? And he goes, <laughs> like the president yes, of what? Yes. yes. And he goes, yes, the president of the United States, tall guy, you might know him. <laughs> 
oh my gosh, this is like a mic drop moment. I know. And I was like, oh, yes, of course, the president. Yes, I know who the president is. <laughs> but I was just so, I was so caught off guard. And so, yes, of course. So, you know, we get, fast forward, it's the day we get to the White House. They're like, you know, here's the deal. You know, I was one of four reporters, the only female. I was, you know, in my late 20s. And these men are a lot older than me because um, for, you know, whatever. And uh, they're like, you have seven minutes. And, you know, here we go. It's your turn. And it was one of the most nerve wracking moments of my life. But a photographer that I worked with gave me some advice that I'll never forget. And he said, Emily, no guts, no glory. And I have never forgotten that anytime I get nervous or scared or uncertain. And I just think, you know what, Em? No guts, no glory. Let's do it. And that's what I did. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine like First of all, the huge honor, like that's amazing because there's a lot of journalists in the United States and to be one of four, like that's amazing. But the pressure, I can't, in seven minutes, like, whoa. (laughs) I know, I know. And so I kind of, I was really strategic about it and I did a lot of research ahead of time. And, you know, I really wanted to keep the interview Ohio focused because that's where, you know, my, uh, you know, my viewers are. And so I had, I thought, okay, five, seven minutes, I can maybe get in like four to five questions based on how long he answers. Um, And so I was able to get in about four. And then I think I might have asked one like fun question about basketball or something at the end. But it was it was really exciting. It really was. I can't even imagine. Oh, my gosh. But you end up not staying in Ohio. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So shortly after that interview, um, the work that I had done there came to the attention of some people who um, worked at, you know, Hearst Television at the time. And um, they reached out and said, hey, you know, we we saw what you did and, you know, we're interested in you coming to work for our company. And so that sort of started a conversation um, that ultimately led to me being hired in Boston as a weekend morning anchor. And that job working at that station was something that I had talked about doing since I was in that TV production class in high school. Wow. Because I grew up in that area. That's the station my parents watched. It's the station that everybody knew the anchors. You know, Chet and Nat were these anchors that everybody knew. And I got a job there. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so this starts just like a huge career trajectory for you at one of the biggest networks, like you said. But you were also married and you had young kids. I can't even imagine what the balance in your life was like. Can you talk a little bit about that time juggling being a high-powered career woman <laughs> and a mom and a wife? Yeah. Well, right. I feel like, oh my gosh, as you – I know you know so well. It's like the illusion of balance, right? Oh, um, right. There's no such thing. Yeah. Right, let's yes. make sure we point that out. <laughs> <laughs> some days we have it. Some days we don't. But, um, you know, I really I, – I started out doing these weekend mornings and uh, my first son was born while I was doing that. And that was difficult because I was getting up at two in the morning to be to work by 3.30 a.m. And my husband traveled quite a bit. And so we were fortunate that we had family close by and they were able to help us and support us. We were fortunate to find amazing overnight nannies who would stay overnight when my husband was away so that I could leave at two in the morning and so that I could sleep. I mean, I was going to bed at like 7 p.m. And then we have we had an amazing daycare with some of the kindest women I have ever known who watched our you know our kids during the day. And so without that team of support, I, I could not have done it. 
you know, oh I could gosh. not have without all these people supporting us. And so, yeah, over the, you know, I was there 10 years, 11 years or so. And so we had one son and then two sons and then three sons. <laughs> um, and it was definitely, it's definitely, it's a juggle. It's a juggle. And having support is just crucial to be able to, for me to be able to live what was my dream and still feel like I could be who I wanted to be as a wife and a mom. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sounds like it really took like a literal village. <laughs> yeah, truly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, there are, you know, times when you're on this text chain with like my mom and the nanny and my husband who's, you know, three hours away and, you know, texting the, dire the director of the school and, you know, I have to go on television in 30 seconds, but I'll call you right back. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even um, imagine. And if you're waking up at 2.30 in the morning, you're like probably passing people on the road that are coming home from the bars. <laughs> oh my gosh. There were times that I would get pulled over because I think there was nobody else around. Right. And they, might, they would just sort of assume, you know, anybody out at that time would, you know, they shouldn't be out at that time. So it was, um, yeah, it was a very interesting, interesting time. <laughs> wow. But as much as this was like so hectic and such a juggle, you – really loved your job. So it made it worth it. But then the pandemic hits. Right. And it hits you especially hard because at this time you're now a medical reporter. So can you talk about what that time was like? Yeah. Yeah. So I was um, – at this time, I'm an evening anchor now. I'm working like a day-side kind of shift. So I'm off those early morning hours. Um, you know, we have our three three kiddos and I was also the medical reporter, which I absolutely loved. However, when the pandemic hit, that really um, – we were all sort of thrust into talking about you know, death and dying and sickness and uncertainty and fear every day. And there were no answers, especially in those early days. And it was very scary to be going into work every day, to be wondering, should I even be here? You know, everyone else is supposed to be home. Like, why am I here? What is happening? Am I keeping my family safe? Am I going to bring something home to them? And I will say that, you know, the station I worked at was amazing and just took every effort to keep us, you know, safe and protected and provided us with what we needed and listened um, and offered resources and support. But every interview I would do about, you know, how do we, how, how do we um, ease our souls, you know, the first thing they would say is to limit your news exposure. That was not available to me. Yeah, I bet. And I remember those early days of COVID when everyone was just kind of afraid. You know, at first we were like, okay, two weeks, right? I remember I had a trip planned with my friends to Puerto Rico and we kept being like, let's just keep it on the books because like things are going to be fine in two weeks. Right. And then, you know, like you said, everyone was just kind of scared. And so to not be able to follow what the news is telling everyone else to do, right? I can imagine how extra scary because you were in the thick of it. Right. And, you know, when you're in news, you have to, or what I did anyway, was to silo things. So there was like work life and home. And I, and I would keep all of the things that at work were just pretty horrible. You know, I mean, we, we reported on some pretty horrible things. I would keep it at home. And I would, it was almost like I would close the box and on the drive home, I would, you know, kind of reset and I'm home and I'm a different person and I don't think about it. And the pandemic just blew the boxes open. 
and there was no more siloing. Like I could not separate all of this uh, just heavy, heavy stuff from coming home and looking at my kids and thinking, you know, I'm here and other people aren't. And tomorrow we're going to talk about more people who aren't. And are we making a difference? Like, what are we doing? And is this the life that I want? And I think those moments, and I think, you know, I'm not unique in that. I know in that a lot of people probably questioned what they were doing. And so on the one hand, you know, as I'm kind of going through this personal sort of deep soul searching, on the other hand, I knew that every day people were tuning into us and that we were providing value and that we were as much as we could, giving answers and reassurance and maybe a little place of stability in a very uncertain time. And so I think that that helped a bit, you know? I, I bet. And oh my gosh, it sounds so hard. And I can even hear you getting emotional just thinking yeah. about that time <laughs> because it just must have been so impactful to you. Yeah. And at yeah. some point, you just say, I, I literally can't do this anymore. And I imagine that this moment wasn't an overnight decision for you because you were at the height of your career in your quote unquote dream job. So can you talk about that? Yeah. You know, I think even before the pandemic, I had been having just doubts about whether this was the career I wanted to do for the next, you know, 20 years, 15 years. The, you know, news has just an inflexible schedule. Like the news is always at five o'clock every day. And my kids were getting to an age where they had activities after school that I was missing. You know, I was never home for dinner. And so I was starting to think, you know, gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is it. And then the pandemic hits. And of course, all that gets put on the back burner. But, you know, I quickly, uh, within two months or so of the, sh- the shutdown, you know, the world kind of shut down, I had started seeing a-, a therapist and was working with her. And that was extremely helpful. Um, but we get to this point in, you know, 2021 somewhere where um, there's just this day that, and I couldn't tell you what makes this day different than any other day, but I just, could not separate what was happening from my own feelings as a human, and it was happening on live television. <laughs> and so we're in commercial breaks, and my director, I'm usually, I usually am very kind of bubbly and joking around with people, and I was very quiet that day. And my director came in my ear, you know, at my earpiece and said, Hey, like, are you, are you okay? What's going on? And I was, I said, No, I'm not okay. And he said, well, what's wrong? He's like, what do you need? Do you want me to send someone out? And I said, people need to stop dying. That's what's wrong. And when that happens, I'm going to be okay. But today I'm not okay. And if you keep being nice to me, (laughs) I am going to cry on television and I need you to stop being nice to me. And I was digging my fingernails into my hand, you know, blinking. I'm like, I just need a minute. And so they, you know, let my co-anchor kind of take some of the reads that I was supposed to have so I could just gather myself. But that day, I think, was the first day that I thought, it's not a question of how I'm going to keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. Wow, Emily. I just, oh, so hard. But from that moment, that day, that sounds like it was just so impactful for you and you walking in and saying, I'm giving my notice, how much time actually goes by? months. (laughs) months. <laughs> I so, bet. Yeah. Months go by because I, you know, I think it was, you know, there's this one part of you that says, I can't keep doing this. And there's this other part that says, but wait a second, 
we've worked 20 years and we're here. We did it. You know, we, this was the dream. We are living it. It's not difficult. You know, we're, we are successful, you know, financially very safe. What are you talking about? We can't do this anymore. And so I would really go back and forth with this internal dialogue with myself about be grateful for what you have, be proud of what you've done. And it's not enough. Oh, I'm and, Right. And, and I think a lot of people maybe have those moments or that sort of conversation. You sort of question, what am I thinking? What, what, what am I doing? And I think having my husband's support, because he's watching all this, and he at one point was very clear with me, I'm, I'm terrified for you if you continue to do this. Like I can see you. I can see you losing your way. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do. And so I think one day my therapist asked a question that was like, well, what, what if you left? You know, what if then? And I almost didn't have an answer, Brie. Like I couldn't, it was almost like the most liberating question in the world and the scariest question in the world. Right. Right. Oh. Emily, you and I talked about how much I relate to this. I was not in a job that brought me heartache. Like it sounds like your job at this point was bringing you heartache. I was in a job that I loved, a business that I had grown for 20 years, so similar to you. Right. And also just was like, I got to sell this business. And I understand that dichotomy of being like, wow, like who am I to say this, to make this decision when I'm quote unquote living the dream. And I think, and I know we talked about this too, like it still hits sometimes to be like, Mm -hmm. wow, like, because it's such a big decision to walk away from a two decade career at the height of your career. It's really hard. And I also sold my company during the pandemic. So I so relate to just like the heartache and the all the decisions and all the layers and everything that goes into to walking away from something that you've worked so very hard on. So, right. oh, and, I relate. And, and right. And, you know, and we did, you know, you and I shared a little bit, you know, with each other just about the sense of identity that you get from something, from a career that is part of who you are. Um, and that I think also makes it really hard to even contemplate doing something different. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I think you're 100% right. I told you how when people would ask me what I what I do or what right. I did, I would be like, I used to. Yes. And it, because it is, it's like, well, I did this thing that I was so proud to tell people I do and now I don't have that to say back. And right. so I, say, I used to. So I, yes, you're right. The identity. Mm-hmm. But you do end up quitting. You end up going in and saying, I can't do this. But you don't have a plan at this point, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't have a plan. And <laughs> right. So I really knew that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. And, but I didn't know what was going to be next. So my husband and I took the opportunity to say, if we could live the life that we are dreaming of, what would it look like? And so we decided to leave the Northeast. Both of us were kind of over the the harsh winters and we were just looking for something different. And we so we moved to outside, you know, Raleigh in North Carolina. We wanted warmer weather. We wanted somewhere the kids could be outside year round. We were looking for 
maybe a greater sense of community, perhaps, and just somewhere where we could all breathe for a minute um, and just catch our breath. And so that's kind of what we did. And the idea was I was going to take six months off to kind of get the kids settled into this new place, maybe sort of try to get myself kind of settled. And um, my husband, we're very fortunate that he can kind of work from anywhere. And so we did. We sold our house, you know, kind of at the the boom of the housing market and moved down here. And it gave us the sort of a cushion and some time, which was great. But, you know, every six months comes and goes. And I was like, well, I still don't know what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Emily, I have three years have gone by and I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. So, you know, as I was trying to think about what comes next, I kept, you know, I, w- I, I thought about what people who had been in news that I knew had gone on to do. And I thought, well, I guess I could do PR. Or I guess I could do this. But none of it excited me, to be honest. And it just felt like, gosh, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to do something next, and if I'm going to work for someone else again, I have to love it. Like, I can't just jump right back into where I was, you know? And so I thought back to this story I had done. And I don't know why it popped into my head, but it did. And it was about health coaching. And the story was with the American Heart Association and how they were using health coaches to keep track of outcomes and to support patients who had just had major heart surgery. And I, at the time, I thought, oh my gosh, this is really neat. Like I, I love this. And this popped back into my head. And immediately I thought, this is it. It was almost like that moment in high school right? I had this certainty. Like, this is it. This is the thing. That's and so I, you know, I did some research. I found a couple of programs that looked great and I settled on the Duke program. Um, and so I went through that to get my um, health and well-being coach certification. That's amazing. And I think sometimes you do need to just give yourself the time in this yeah, space yeah. so that you can listen to your own voice of like, what is it that lights me up? What is it that I can do that I'm going to lose track of time because I'm enjoying it so much? And going to work for somebody else again, it sounds like wasn't the right path for you. So you you go to Duke, which is so awesome. And I love like just to go back to like you guys sitting down and being like, where are we going to move? And like what's our dream life? Like what a gift that is to be able to like (sighs) – just dream and then do. Like that's yes. such a gift. I know. It's I I think about just how fortunate we have been. And not to say that we have worked we because we have worked hard. So we're not lucky, but we are just we're fortunate to have that ability. And there are days when we're here, even when things are a little bit, you know, dicey. I mean, you know, you got kids and dogs and things and life. But there are moments when I look around and I think we're doing it. Like we're Mm. we're doing it. We're living this life we dreamed of. The kids are outside playing. It's sunny and it's warm. I'm inside. I was able to pick them up and hear all about their day. You know, and I, I, I savor those moments now, even on the days when I you know, question or pulling your hair right out. Yes, 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 yes. Did I make the right choice? Um, I, I savor those moments because they tell me that we did the right thing. Wow, I love that. And just what a like brave step you had to take to be able to have that life. And I think so often people 
get to the end of their life or later in their life and they say, gosh, what if I would have? And I think it's just so great that you were like, no, we're going to do it. And so often I think if people would just say to themselves like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, I mean, the worst that could have happened was that you needed to go back and get a job and work for somebody else and you would have figured it out, right? But like this gift of a life that you're living right now in the sunshine wouldn't have happened if you didn't take a risky leap. And I just I just like want people to hear that because I think too often we just stick with things because it's mm. what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels safe even if we're not happy. So true. So true. And I just want to go back to talking a little bit about the identity piece mm. because you had kind of a glitzy job. You know, it was hard work. It was <laughs> logistics. But like yeah. you were a local celebrity. People saw you. They wanted their picture with you. You know, you were you were like living it. You were living <laughs> this big personality dream. Yeah. So what has it been like to live a quieter life? Like how how has that affected you and your identity? Oh, what a great question. I – you know, I think I'm still figuring it out, to be totally honest. I will say I enjoy the anonymity that comes with being somewhere where nobody knows me as a news reporter or as an anchor. I, However, I also miss being involved in big ways with things, like knowing that I could make an impact with the American Heart Association or with this you know, local fundraising chapter for St. Jude. I miss that part of it. However, I will say that, you know, I I did at times feel a bit exposed or felt like there was this person there's this person that people thought they knew me, you know, because they watched me every night, but they didn't really know me. You know what I mean? Um, it was almost like this, like, um, you know, just this like avatar, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. But, you know, so I think, I think today I I really, I like the anonymity. I do sometimes still miss people, you know, saying, oh my gosh, we watch you every night. We love you and Ben, you guys are great. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of ego in there, right? Totally Um, understandable, Emily. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Totally understandable. Yeah. Um, But I think I am now that we're about two years in, you know, to me leaving, I'm starting to really think, you know, I I still am that person. You know, I, I still tell amazing stories and I still connect with people and I still can make a contribution and I can also be here when my kids get home and be really engaged and involved, you know, with my family and my friends. And maybe that's my identity now, that I'm engaged with the people around me who I truly love and care for, and that's okay too. Oh my gosh. Emily, it's so interesting because, you know, for those of you listening that don't know this, but Emily and I were connected through Marion Wagner, who was on the episode called the 40s are my favorite. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny because I don't even think Marion knew how much our stories like lined up or were parallel in so right. many ways. Because when you're talking 
about, you know, your kids getting off the bus and everything. Like I have also really struggled with like, oh my gosh, I made this impact. I had a hundred teachers that worked for me every year. I had thousands of kids learning Spanish, like to make a huge impact the way that you were on the news, making an impact to thousands of people every day. Um, And then to see that your life is smaller, right? Like in a lot of ways it's smaller. But my son said to me the other day, mom, when I think about it, I always think of you here. And I'm like, oh, "Oh," like, oh Oh my gosh. You know, like, oh my God. So like you said, like thinking about the impact in a different way and the legacy Mm -hmm. in a different way is hard. And I think like, I feel choked up like thinking about it because it is hard to walk away from like the notoriety. Yes. But then like, oh, the like small life sometimes is so sweet. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well said. Well said. It's finding those sweet moments and, you know, thinking, gosh, if I, if that's what he remembers that I was always here, then shoot, I did something right. Totally. So, and the thing is, you are making an impact. You are making an impact mm-hmm. on all these people that you're coaching. So can you talk a little bit about who needs a health yes. coach and and just like give people some information because I know people know about life coaches, but right. what's a health coach? Right. Okay. And so um, health coaching is probably very similar, you know, to life coaching, um, but they're really for anybody who is looking for extra support, accountability help with motivation, and really a more personalized approach to what you're trying to do. So right now, you know, my focus is really on um, working with executives who are where I was, burnout, right? And helping them come back from burnout so that they feel refreshed and inspired and excited to make changes that make them feel like themselves. Um, And so what that kind of looks like is um, I have this system that I developed that I call the energy method. Um, And and what I love about it is that it takes someone who is feeling overwhelmed, maybe irritable, maybe sort of like lost, and who is in that place where they're thinking the same way I was. It's not whether I have to change. I have to change. Mm -hmm. And um, walking them through why this is so important, how they're going to make that change step-by-step in their lives, um, and then walking with them every step of the way to get them to a place where they feel happy and focused and they have clarity on what happens next. Um, and you know, I always like to remind clients, like it's about progress. There, there is no perfection. So let's just let go of that right now. <laughs> right. Um, and I bet about- too, like you don't, people don't need to like you know, quit their jobs and move to another state or whatever to like find that energy and happiness again, right? No, not at all. Not at all. And the best example of that I can think of is an urgent care physician that I worked with um, last summer who was burnt out. And very similar, you know, to my own story was at this point in her career where, I mean, think of the pandemic and what it has done to the medical professionals in our communities. And she just was not sure if she could continue. She saw everybody else leaving and she's thinking, wait, should I, should I jump too? But there's this piece of her that still loved it. And so we work together on um, stress reduction strategies that she could implement not only at home, but at work that would fit like in between going to see patients, you know? So we're talking one minute sessions, ways that she could try breathing, 
ways that she could go outside, right? And get some vitamin D on her face. And after our work together, Brie, she, not only did she stay, but she now has been implementing some of the things that we talked about with her own staff. Ugh. Yes. To help them get through and stay in a job that they love, that they're not ready to give up yet, but to be able to feel happy and engaged and just ready to face whatever comes their way. Emily, what an impact you made not on that doctor, but the doctors working with that doctor. That is so cool. Like you should really feel great about that because you are in a different role, but you are in a role that's impactful too. And that is so cool. I I love that for you. Thank you. So you don't necessarily – like if somebody wants to work with you and they're not a burnt-out executive, maybe they've been a stay-at-home mom and they're also just – tired and not enthusiastic because that's a lot of what I hear is that people are like, oh, I just don't have a zest for life anymore. Are they a good fit to work with you too? For sure. Yeah. I think, you know, burnout is not specific to (laughs) one profession or one group of people. It really just kind of like spreads um, throughout all of us. So I, I work with anyone. And I think, you know, the thing that I like about how I guide people through this is that it's very unique to each individual. Mm. So the process can help anyone, Um, whether you are just burnt out at the end of your rope, you feel like you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying to feel better and nothing's working. Um, This process works for you as well as it works for, you know, an executive heading to into a boardroom to face an angry, you know, people on the board or whatever. <laughs> um, but there are things, strategies that apply to everyone that can make a huge impact even in just the first day of working together. Wow. That's amazing. And why do you think that midlife in particular is such an important time to be paying attention to our wellness? You know, I think that midlife, I think you have the experience of all that has come before and maybe the wisdom to realize that there's still a lot of life ahead Mm -hmm. and that now with that clarity comes the opportunity to shape it however you want it to be. And like you said, it doesn't mean quitting your job and moving thousands of miles away, but maybe it means changing the balance of responsibilities in your life, right? Like you don't have to say yes to everything and maybe taking away one or two things shifts your energy, takes away a little bit of the overwhelm so that you can come back from feeling burnt out and do the things that you're doing really well and enjoy them. And I think that in midlife, you just, you have clarity on that, I guess, that you have some control about what the next 20, 30 years look like. And the experience and the wisdom of the first half or, you know, chunk of your life to learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Wow. To be more successful as you go forward. Yeah. When I think our health, you know, I think we see, especially like now I'm in, I hate to admit it, in my late 40s, yeah. you just start to see like stories of people's like health kind of declining in those mm. ages. And so I think like even that piece of like you have to pay attention to, you know, your your physical health, your mental health, all of the pieces that create 
total wellness. Yeah. I think more than more than ever because just naturally things start okay. breaking down, right? And I think this is such a foundational time mm. for mm-hmm. midlife women to make sure that their physical health, their mental health, everything that creates that like total wellness package is strong so that we're setting ourselves up for success in our senior years, right? Yes, yes. And I think too, a piece of that is giving yourself the permission to put yourself first sometimes. Yes. Yeah, because which is hard as a like as a woman. Hard. Oh, right. It is so hard. And on the days, I always tell myself, on the days when I think I don't have time to do something for myself are the days when I need it the most. Emily, that's so true. Yesterday, I was like, I just feel literally so exhausted. My husband's been on a week-long trip. and Oh, wow. Yeah. I literally just was like, I'm going on my back porch. I'm going to read my book. And then I'm going to take a 25-minute nap. I said, like my timer. And I'm like, I'm going to try not to judge myself for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I know that feeling. But it truly is. Like when your cup is full, it spills over to other people. And that's the place we want to be and that I know a lot of your listeners want to be too is in that place of like being able to give because we feel good. So true. And so if people want to work with you, they can be anywhere, right? They don't necessarily need to be in North Carolina. Totally. That is the beauty of Zoom. Um, And I actually love it. So yes, anywhere, honestly, as long as you have an internet connection, we can chat. Um, and I think that has been such a blessing, actually. I used to love in person. I'd be like, oh, I hate you know online meetings. And now I love them because it just allows me to connect with more people. That's awesome. And it's so true because then you really can work with people that are anywhere. So yes. I love that. Yes. And tell people where they can find you. Sure. So um, I have my website. It's emilyreamercoaching.com. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram, I think, is Emily Reamer Coaching. And then Facebook is kind of weird. It's <laughs> Emily Reamer 2021 because Facebook will not let me change this name. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 have tried. <laughs> I know. Like Mark Zuckerberg, what the heck? I have, <laughs> I have tried so many times and for some reason it's decided that every iteration of Emily Reamer Coaching is not available. So anyway, a little bit weird there. But yes, um, come connect with me on social or um, my website and I would love to talk to you. Awesome. And I will put this in the show notes too so that people aren't like, wait, how do you spell it? Yes, or whatever. right, right, right. <laughs> um, and the last thing I want to ask you is what advice would you give the midlife woman that's listening that is at that place going, what do I do next? I'm kind of yeah. stuck. Ugh. So if I can give you any advice, I think it would be um, be brave, be honest, and just listen to your heart because I think the answers are inside of us if we can just trust ourselves enough to hear what our heart and our instincts are trying to tell us and if we can be brave enough to listen to what it's saying and to even take one small step towards that reality. You know yourself. You are the expert on your own life. And just be honest and be brave and know that you are crushing it and you are going to be okay. 
what great advice. And I love that the advice you shared was the advice you gave to yourself. So that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Emily. It was so great to have you on the show today. You are welcome. It was such a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me. Aww, and thank you to all of you for listening. I am humbled and grateful that you tune in. If you can so kindly give the podcast a rating or a review, I would so appreciate it. That will help more women to find the podcast. And the more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. Have a great day, friends, and be brave. Thanks so much. 